Well, if you have your Bibles with you, or there's some hopefully in front or underneath you in the pews or in the chairs, uh, you might have one on your phone as well. That is pretty common. Uh, Turn, if you would, to the book of John, John chapter 1, as we continue to look at this phrase, joy in a lowly manger, joy in a lonely manger. Last week, we looked at joy, joy seen through the person of Christ, joy seen as a man who came humbly to us, born to die, sometimes is the phrase you might hear this Christmas season, and that is true, that our Savior didn't come as a warrior, come riding in a horse this time at least, (laughs) We do know that he is going to be coming again in that fashion, but he came as a lowly baby. And so we looked at this idea of joy, joy found even in lowliness or in trial or in difficulty, that there is this joy found, enjoyment of God, enjoyment of all that he is, and even the Ability to say, Lord, have your will. This might be difficult, but I trust in you. That's at the heart of joy. I don't know about you, but at times when things might seem hard or something sudden occurs that we did not plan as much of life can be, there is a peace that comes when we bring that to our Father, and out of that prayer, even maybe out of like the Psalms who cry, what, O Lord, are you doing? My soul is cast down. I am under the weight of these trials. Even in the process of bringing that to the Lord, He gives us peace and He gives us joy. And we can once again enjoy trusting in the Lord. And out of this joy comes this baby in the lowly manger. Christ came into this world. The Father sent the Son to be our Savior. And this morning I just want to look at How the Bible speaks of this whole story of Christ entering in to our, what we might call, mess. (laughs) And saying, like we read together in Hebrews chapter 2, I wanted to associate, I had to associate with my brothers in their mess, in their sin Christ never was one who sinned. He was sinless, perfect, but he lived with us so that he could sympathize with us. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they kind of come and say, oh, I I totally understand what you mean. I actually had a very similar thing happen or where we bring about some experience and someone goes, oh yes, I've been there too. And right away there's this connection made. 
I don't know for you, but when I'm traveling in the States, or maybe when Sarah and I get to go visit family over in England, and I run into someone who talks of Christ, I can kind of almost sense that there's something different inside of them. There's this automatic bond. And we might talk of familiar things or revel about what we love about the gospel, and right away there's this connection. Or you might say, oh yeah, me and my wife, or I got to go on this trip and went over yonder to, I don't know, Alaska, or Mazatlan, or the Bahamas. Oh yeah, which island did you go to? We were over there too. Oh, really? Oh, tell me the story. And there's this immediate connection. Christ desired that. He wanted to be like his brothers and sisters to say, I have lived there too. I have been there also. Christ coming to earth changed everything. He could be one who sympathized with us. He had to come to be the perfect God and the perfect man living the life that we could not live so that he could die the death that we deserved to die. He fulfilled all righteousness as the gospel said. And he did so by coming into this world and living among us and fulfilling all righteousness. In everything he said, in everything he did, even as a child, I don't understand that, but even as a child, he sinned not. He grew in stature and in favor with God and man. This text in John chapter 1 speaks of this beautiful truth that Jesus, the Son of God, came to live among us. The passage is chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And I just want to read it in full so we get the sense of what John introduces his gospel with. In the beginning was the Word. He's speaking of Jesus, the Savior, From the very beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to look at this beginning very shortly. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, as we all are witnesses, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about this light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, and we read this together. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Or we read this at the Advent. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
but to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word, this word from the beginning, this life became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom he said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. That is an amazing statement. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What John is saying there in verse 18, the only God, our Savior, he's at the Father's side. This Jesus has made the Father known. He has shown us who God, the invisible, immortal, King of kings, almighty, Jesus has shown us who this God is by coming to us in a person. Joy in a lowly manger. And as John says, from the very beginning was the word. That is where we're going to begin today. Looking at how Christ and his coming was prophesied from even the very beginning. And what's interesting is, even from verse 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1, we read, in the beginning, the same phrase, John wants us to think back at these verses, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And you might know the familiar verse in Genesis chapter 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our image. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, all dwelling together for all of eternity. And from the very beginning, Christ is promised. You know maybe of Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve. He lies, he deceives, he tells Eve, did God really say that? And sin enters into the world. And Jesus gives us this promise in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to Satan, cursing this snake. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her, and the word is seed, her offspring. Someone who would come from Eve. He will bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. 
You think you will have won the battle, Satan. You will see this seed go to the cross. But this offspring of the woman will crush your head, Satan. A promise even from Genesis chapter 3 that there would be one who would come from the seed of a woman, a man, perfect, sinless, as we see prophecy after prophecy sent from God himself, who would not just be the perfect man, but he would be God, perfect God and perfect man. This seed would crush the head of our greatest foe, Satan himself. And oh, how he fights and how he wants to have the victory. But the victory is not his. Christ was prophesied that he would come and crush his head. This promise of a savior even is found in the language that God meets Abraham with in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12 verse 3 God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's not a mention of an individual, but that language that through the line of Abraham, there would come one who would bless Every family on the earth. We know the language that all the nations will hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. And even here in John chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12, we find God telling Abraham that Christ would come and bless all the nations that good would come about for every individual. And it's because Jesus came to this earth. The prophecies that we read are that Jesus would come from the beginning, actually even more than just from the beginning, but from everlasting he has always been and he would enter into our world and our lives understanding eternity and coming and humbling himself and being limited to the life that we live. Even submitting himself to death. The eternal God willing to submit to dying. This joy in a lowly manger. Here are some verses that talk of his coming. Psalm 78, 1 through 2. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Psalm 78, 1 through 2. And Micah 5, 2, this similar language. But you, we read this in the call to worship, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, this little Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one 
who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The ESV reads, King James says, from everlasting. The the NASB translation says, you will come from days of eternity. You stepped out of eternal existence in glory in heaven. And you would step into our world in this little town of Bethlehem. He would be God with us, as was prophesied in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that connection is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary bore a son. His name was Yeshua, Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And as he came into our world, we find that even his mission was prophesied. The great chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, states that he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He came into our world, not just as a baby, but in a way that showed forth that no one took regard for him, no one heralded him, except for the lowly shepherds, except for God's plan as three wise men were watching and waiting for a star. But his entrance was silent and quiet. In this little town of Bethlehem, few were his audience. Even when a host of angels were singing, glory to God in the highest, few witnessed this new birth. He didn't come to the palace. He came to a manger. And he came as his life would show us later on because he would be despised, rejected. No one esteemed him, held him in high regard. He would go on a mission that no one else would sign up for to death on a cross. And no one else can sign up for that. The prophecies came true. But they are prophecies because all of Scripture is telling us a story that we need a Savior. We need one who is like us. Who can take our place. For our sin has created a breach with the Holy God. 
And how are we going to find a sacrifice worthy of God's forgiveness and atoning work? We couldn't. There is no one on earth that we could give up and say, Here, Lord, I hope this is enough. God himself had to be sent to us as a man, lived with us, understanding what it means to trip, and to stub our toe, and even as I could tell you later, to, to swing a hammer at your finger. I think Jesus might have even known the pain or the experience possibly of manual labor as he worked building as a carpenter. Maybe he was perfect and missed every hammer swing. <laughs> I certainly did not. But here was Christ prophesied, now come in the flesh. He was Christ in the prophecies. Now, as John says, he was the word became flesh, tenting, tabernacling, dwelling among us, calling the earth his home, having parents and siblings. <laughs> Even as you heard up front with Benjamin and Elizabeth, we understand the life of brother and sister. Jesus understands that as well. Every part of growing up, every part of going from child to teenager and teenager to young adult and young adult to young to an adult. He was in the flesh dwelling among us. The scripture tells us so many purposes of why he came. John 12, 46 says, I came into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus' purpose for why he came here was to open our eyes to truth, to bring us out of darkness and for us to see I understand why I'm here, why life exists. I have purpose and meaning. God has made me. He's endowed me with gifts and abilities. He's loved me so I can love others. He has given me light so I can be brought out of the darkness, the lostness, the hopelessness. He gives us a reason to live. He gives us hope. He shows us the way to heaven. He is our light. John 18.37 says, For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He is all truth. His teachings reveal our hearts in ways like no one else can ever do. His truth pierces, like the book of Hebrews says, even to our thoughts and intentions. It goes 
to our very core being. He speaks directly to our hearts. He knows what we need even before we even say a word. 1 Timothy 1.15, we've been looking at this even with our men. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here is the Apostle Paul who says, of whom I am the foremost. Or your translation might say, I am the chief of sinners. Christ came to save those who are lost in their sin and who say, I can't do this. I need a Savior. Who say, I am the worst of sinners. Many times God has to bring us to that point. And as we read in Hebrews 2, he had to be made like his brothers in every way so that he might become the faithful and merciful high priest who can sympathize with us. He was made like us, gone through all that we have gone through to become our substitute. That word propitiation there in Hebrews 2 means to stand in the place of to put himself forward and say, I will take your sin. He could do this because he entered into our world. He became a man, one of us. A bigger, greater reason we even read as we went through the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came into the world to fulfill all the prophecies from the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 3, when God said, out of this woman will come a seed, and he will crush the head of Satan. And we just read, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And he did, and he will. And we say, Lord, now, <laughs> would you do that destroying work even now? But the truth is, he wasn't just prophesied to come in. He didn't just come in the flesh. But he is destroying the works of the devil, and he's doing so in the greatest way possible, Christ not just came to this world, but he came in you. He has promised that he is in us who have trusted and believed in him as Savior and Lord, who have confessed, admitted our sin, believed that he died and rose again, called out to him, Lord, I'm a sinner I need your saving work on the cross. And it is promised that Christ is now in us. He is actually doing the work of destroying sin in our lives. 
ever so slowly maybe, but he is sanctifying, setting us apart is that word, making us more holy like himself, Christ in you. Beautiful promises of Christ in us. John 15, this book that we were reading first, the first chapter, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the source of life. Everything comes out from me. And he says, whoever abides in me and I in him. I have chosen, I'm abiding in those who have come into the family, who have trusted in Jesus. I am in him. He is the one who bears much fruit. Romans 8.10 says, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, And the Greek writers use this phrase to really almost create an argument. I like to kind of turn that if to what Paul is saying here is since Christ is in you, since he is in you, even though the body is dead, the spirit has given you life, given you the righteousness that Jesus has. 2 Corinthians 13.5 is a great reminder for us. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Again, Paul gives us this truth. Have you forgotten? Oh, Paul, please remind us. Thank you for that writing. We need it over and over again. Christ is in us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Ephesians 3.16 and 17, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may know the greatness of our God. goes on and on. One of my favorite chapters, Ephesians chapter 3, Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This mystery is the riches of all glory, which is Christ Christ. In you. Say, well, Christ was a person. Yes, the language is certainly that Christ's spirit is in us. But for some reason, the writers tell us the spirit in you is Christ in you. One and the same. Everything that Christ showed us, the power of his miracles, the change that he can bring about, the righteousness that he lived, it is in you. For Christ is in you. For his spirit is in you. For God himself has chosen to dwell in 
us. That amazes me beyond anything else. That God has not just been prophesied to come to the world. He didn't just come to become the baby born to die on a cross and be risen again. But he came in and is in us. God is saying, oh, it gets better than just Christ coming to this world. It gets better than just Him saving you from your sins. He actually wants to come in to you. And He sends His Spirit when He left to be our guide and our helper, to be the one inside of us. God in us. It's greater than now this word Emmanuel, God with us. It is God in us. Changing us, transforming us from glory to glory, as 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18 says. I don't even know how to explain how God made that possible. But He is within us who have trusted in His Savior Jesus. And He is our helper, carrying us through this world the blessings, the trials, the joys, the joys that come out of the hurts, <laughs> the wanting things now and the waiting for what God has in store. He is with us in all of those things. He is not just with us. He is in us through all of those things. No wonder he said, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. I go with you. Joy in a lowly manger. The greater message is joy in our hearts. For he is the Savior who wants to be your Savior. And I pray this morning he is in your heart. He is your greatest helper and guide. He is changing you from the inside out. And he then becomes our joy. <laughs> because he has chosen me. To come in me. To do a work in me. Really? There's only a few things that put goosebumps down my back. Another one was, I was reading this week with our little daughter, the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't, I don't, we're, we just keep going through them and through them and recycling them. And we'll do this book and that book. And, um, but we're on the last book, and it speaks of kind of the end of all things, the culmination of everything. And it talks of all these children and these kings of Narnia that have existed, and they finally get to meet the first king and the first queen established. And I love how C.S. Lewis says, it'll, it'll be, you know, we don't understand what that means, but I think it's going to be like, we're going to one day get to meet the first Adam, the first Eve, who got to enjoy the presence of God, a perfect garden, 
being with their father. I just want to go up and say, tell me what that garden experience was like. Although when I'm there, I think I'll know (laughs) all about it. I don't need to ask them, but I, I just think about that. What was it like for that first fellowship with the Trinity, Adam and Eve being with the one who made them? Yeah, Genesis 3 happened, the fall happened, but what was it like right in the beginning? What was it like for Adam and Eve? God is in us, and one day we're going to be able to be in his presence, and we're just getting a taste. We don't know fully what it's going to be like when we're there, like Adam and Eve and everyone else who's gone before us in the hall of faith, who now sees with their eyes what they only believed by faith. We wait for that day as God came to dwell with us. We, I pray, will one day see the promise fulfilled when we dwell with God. What a beautiful truth to be reminded of. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your your humility as we're going to look at next week that you would set everything aside that you had and to come in and be a part of this world, a part of our mess, a part of seeing diseases and those laying on the city streets who have never spoken a word or had never seen the light of day or who lost their legs or who had been battling some leprosy or whatever was the case and you were there in the midst getting on your knees speaking to those individuals giving them life and for some even healing their infirmities because you can do all things you are God the perfect man the perfect God. Lord, as we think of this Advent season of Christ coming to this earth, you did so out of great love and you did so to show us that you know everything we're going through. You can now sympathize with us. You are like us. You wanted to be like your brothers and sisters so that you could be the great high priest who stands in the gap pleading for us before the throne. You have our names written in your hand and in the book of life. You know everything about us as Psalm 139 states. Lord, help us to love more and trust more and say thank you for coming to dwell with us and thank you for coming to be in us. What an amazing gift this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.